You know, as I was preparing for today's uh, message, a scripture came to mind that I couldn't remember the address of, and so whenever I can't remember where a scripture is, I open my internet browser and I, I go to the Bible, except my homepage is Facebook. And as I open up uh, the internet browser before I have a chance to click on the Bible, uh, up pops Facebook news feed, and the very top news feed is from Aaron Malk, one of our youth volunteers uh, in the youth leadership team here. And it's, he has this really long post, and frankly, if I see a really long post, I usually don't take time to read it. I just, I just don't. It's usually got to be short. I guess I have a short attention span, a true Facebook attention span at times. And, uh, but he had this long post from a guy named Stephen Furtick, who is a pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina. It was just kind of his reflection on a message that he gave, and I, I read it, and it really, it really related to what we're talking about today. So thank you, Aaron, for being an unintended research assistant this week. Um, Aaron begins his Facebook post by saying this. He says, while contemplating things that have happened recently, I stumbled across this and found it very encouraging and worth sharing, and it is. Furtick quotes the scripture, Luke 22, 31 through 32, and this says this. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples just shortly before he's going to the cross. And he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Furtick's comments this go on and say this. He says, on the surface, it looks like Jesus' prayer failed. After all, the last time I checked, Furtick says, this, this same Peter would go on to deny Jesus three times in the next 24 hours. It seems that Jesus would have every reason to be disappointed but that's only if we assume that Jesus means praying, means he's praying that Peter's faith would not fail at all. But it did not fail completely. Peter's faith did fail, but it didn't fail completely. It says Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. Jesus wasn't praying against that. He was pray, praying that it would not be the final word in Peter's life. And of course, his prayer was answered. Peter did falter in his faith, but he returned and became the leader of the church. And he goes on to say a number of things, but isn't that just an amazing thing to ponder? Again, I, every time I run into scriptures like that, it just makes me go, how patient, how amazingly loving is our God that he would predict our failure, pray for us in that, and love us through it instead of being disappointed and upset and angry with us and rejecting of us, that he would Love us through it. And it made me think of what Paul writes to Timothy, his most cherished uh, disciple. In 2 Timothy 2, it says this. It says, he's talking to Peter. It says, if we endure, and he's writing this from prison. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And most of us stop right there. And we look at that scripture and go, man, so I've got to perform, right? Because if I don't perform, he's going to disown me. But it goes on to say this. It says, if we are faithless. In other words, if we lose heart, if, if we fail to act in faith, if we, if we want to do it, but we don't, if we, if we long to do it, but because of disillusionment or guilt or confusion or fear or anger, if we're faithless, it says he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Learning to be faithful is the one thing God asks from us. It's the one action that we can give him. And when we look at it, even Paul writes about it more later in Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul's talking about it, and he's talking about it in the context of gearing ourselves up for battle, gearing ourselves up for endurance and perseverance. And, and he says in the context of that passage, he says, okay, in life when you've done all you can do, in other words, he's implying a sense that when you've not only done all you can do, when, you, when there's just nothing else you can do, when you feel like you can't do anything else, at least do this, at least stand. Just Stand. Just stop and stand. Be faithful. Don't run away. Don't hide. Just stand. The amazing patience of God is, is such a beautiful thing to ponder. But there's an additional truth found beyond what Furtick talks about in this passage of talking about Peter and in these other passages. There's an additional truth found beyond the words 
And they're found only in the actions, the habits of Peter and the habits that Jesus put in them. You see, one of the faults that we have sometimes as Christians is we read the Bible and we look at the words, we look at the statements, we look at and we spend all of our time focusing on those commandment things that say what we should do and how we should do it. But, but so much of the lesson of Scripture is in the actions of Jesus and how they lived. And while Furtick's comments are true that prayer played a significant role in, in, in Peter coming back from his faithlessness to faithfulness again, I think Jesus was much more intentional than just relying on words and prayer. Not that they're not important, but I think he was much more intentional than just relying on those things to develop Peter into a person who would be faithless but would return to faith. You see, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's selecting his disciples, and, and it's interesting to watch him. He selects around relationship. He goes out, and, and, and if you look at his 12 disciples, at least one-third of them were actually friends before they became his disciples. And Jesus lived his whole life with the 12, with the three that were closest to him, with the 12 that were in a, basically a small group, and then, and then with the 70 and the 120. And, you, and as you look at the pattern of the Bible and the actions of the Bible, his disciples, when he went away to heaven, his disciples lived the same way with their leaders. They just lived the habit of relationship, lived the habit of being in intentional small groups designed for their own growth and for their own help. Peter's ability to return to faith from faithlessness had everything to do with the habits of relationship that Jesus had built into them for three years. I mean, look at it. Jesus is taken away and beaten and crucified. And, and what's the behavior of the disciples? Now, wouldn't you think in all their fear and all their, all their confusion, especially Peter, the guy who was supposed to be the leader who denied him, wouldn't you think that they would all in shame and embarrassment and, and just because of wanting to run away and in fear, do you think they, don't, don't you think it would be smarter for them to scatter and go to the four winds of the earth so that they couldn't be found? But what do they do? They go back to the habits that Jesus had lived with them through for three years. They all gathered together as a group and they just stood and stayed trying to figure out what to do next because Jesus had so inculcated in them the habits of relationship that they would not even depart from it in their scariest, most threatening hour of their life. Intentional friendships with faith are a God-given launching pad for growing us in faith and life. Without them, our times of faithlessness will be longer because we won't have the people in our life to talk to us, to bring us back to faithfulness. It's so important. Uh, Denise is uh, our small groups pastor and our children's pastor. I think we're changing the title eventually to something like family ministries pastor or do everything that nobody else wants to do pastor, something of that nature. Um, I gave her a, an impossible job description when she came here, and she has been such an amazing gift. I, it was either foolishness on my part or God-given destiny that she get an impossible job description of doing children in small groups. I don't know of any other church in America that has that role combined, and she does it part-time as well and has done a fantastic job in the children's ministry. If you've worked in there, you know that. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And right now, actually, just so you know what's going on, we're actually looking to hire somebody to take the week-to-week -week children's ministry off of her. Denise is still going to supervise it, going to still work in it, going to still do leadership development, systems develop, that kind of thing. But we don't want her to have to do the week-to-week -week work with it. We want to free her up a little bit more to work more on small groups. And uh, just for your information, I knew this when we hired her as well, that she's working on a dissertation, and it's kind of crunch time. So she's actually stepping back one day a week from the church until her dissertation is done because it's got to be a priority. It's down, to, it's down to do or die time, isn't it? Yeah. But I wanted her to just share a little bit with you about her experience and why she's so passionate about small groups and a story that's gone on in her life now. Thank you. 
Uh, well, small groups here, Quest, um, take many shapes and forms. And last year, we started in September with a big push to get everyone involved in small groups by doing one study churchwide called R12, Romans 12. If you remember that, how many participated in that study? Okay, great. About half of you, maybe even more. Um, this year, we're not going to do the same thing. We ended up with a problem. Everyone started the same day, and then for six weeks, small groups were pretty much closed. So if you started coming to the church late September and October and you wanted to get hooked into a small group, they were already going, doing their R12 study, and it was really hard to break into a group halfway through a study. So we're really trying to empower the small group leaders this year to just be um, much more autonomous, decide the study. We're going to have studies recommended and some available. Uh, but then um, starting the very last week of September into the first week of October, we're really going to ask you to engage in a small group, um, and you'll have many to choose from. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about something more personal to me. Um, I have been leading a small group for six years. It's a women's group. It's a wonderful group. Right, ladies? You're out there. So, but that group meets on Wednesday nights, and we're starting a study at the end of September. You're welcome to join us, ladies. But that group is really about sharing our lives together, and we always have a study, a really intentional focus. We really want to learn and grow um, in our walk with Christ, but also in our knowledge so that we can be you know, much more um, discerning when it comes to living our lives the right way. Um, and that group changes flavors. People come and go. Um, but it's one of those where you can just get connected. The other type of group that I'm involved in that I had never heard of before came out of a relationship um, that started from a women's ministry retreat. And I know there's one being planned for the middle of October, ladies, so um, if you're interested in getting hooked in with other women, this is a great opportunity. Um, but this new friend of mine um, said, I'm putting together an accountability group, and I want to know if you'd like to be part of that. And I said, what's an accountability group? Like, do I have some problems like I'm wearing that I need to be held accountable for? I wasn't quite sure. What did that mean? And come to find out that all it really is is saying, I want to live the way Christ wants me to live. And I need to be deeply spiritual and deeply practical about that, just like our mission is at Quest. And in order to do that right, a small group of individuals were coming together monthly, and we're not going to do a Bible study. We're going to pray for each other, ask each other some really hard questions, and we're going to make sure that these values and principles, these biblical principles that we all agree to, that we're going to make sure we do live that way. So for the last couple of years, I think in October it'll be three years that we've been meeting, um, we do just talk about our lives, and sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to say. And it's just the questions that are asked that make me reflect on my own life, how I interact and how I treat my family and how I prioritize my life and where I'm struggling. And out of that, they probably heard me complain too much about being too busy. I have that sin of busyness that I really am trying to work on. Um, I was challenged the first week of August um, that when I got back from a nine-day um, trial, I was doing it some national consulting, when I got back, that I would spend a day with Jesus. So I thought, oh, of course, sounds like a good idea, because that was like, you know, it was later. Well, the day I got back, so one of the ladies from my small group, a dear friend, calls me and says, so, Denise, what day did you pick out? <laughs> I said, day for what? She's like, your day for Jesus. I'm like, that's right. So I got on my computer, blocked out a date. It happened to be this past Thursday. She had um, put together some music for me. She put together some messages for me to ponder and just think about. Um, gave me some things to do because I said, I don't know how to spend a day with Jesus. What do you do? You just like sit there in front of a cross and open up your Bible like for a whole day. I'm, I did a strength finders. Anyone else done a strength finders? My number one strength, I'm an achiever. Yeah, pretty sad. I know, I have to come, that's part of me. I have to come to terms with like who I am and accept who I am and how God created me. And part of living life with a lot of focus is living life intentional every moment of every day. And so how do I take a day and not 
have something produced that validates how I spent my day. So she said, you just have to trust in the process, and I want you to like get to know yourself and let Jesus just guide you. So I called my mom. My mom lives up in Amish country in Holmes County, and they have a Christmas tree farm. So I drove up there on Thursday. Of course, I called her ahead of time. She didn't quite get what I was doing. And I said, just, I'm just doing a retreat. And she says, well, why don't you take the dog with you? Like, but then I'm not with Jesus. I'm with the dog. So, <laughs> so I had, my mom didn't get it. That's okay. She made lunch and dinner for me um, and didn't interfere with anything else. I had my blanket. I, had, I was like, okay, what should I take with me? I got my iPod because I had to have everything that she had so purposefully assembled for me. And then I had my journal and my Bible. And then I even got this other 90 days with Jesus reflection journal thing. And I was ready. And I went out and I found this nice little patch in the middle of all these pine trees. Smelled beautiful. Had my little earbuds in. Why? Not like anyone could hear. I could have just played it. But no, I had to have them in. And there's this huge thunderstorm that came and I did not hear it. I have these earbuds in, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm listening, and I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just listening. So then I got my journal out, and then I just started, I do these things, like I like to render text and just try to find the essence of it. So I'm listening to the lyrics, and I'm writing down what I think the essence is of it, trying to find patterns. See, I have to research what God's telling me. I'm learning. So that was my first step. I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned a lot about where I need to grow and that sometimes where my strengths are a deficit. Um, but I also learned to really appreciate uh, being held accountable because I know that I need to do this more regularly. Um, I want to be deeply spiritual and I need to learn how to experience God. And if it wasn't for my accountability group setting me up on this preparing me, trying to lead me that way, then I would never have even taken this first step. So I think when you think about um, small groups, they just take so many different forms. And they could be ones you come in and out of, ones that you live a life with and share your life, and then others where the purpose is really kind of diehard behavioral change so that you can live so much stronger as a Christian and be a living testimony, uh, just like Jeremy was talking about last week. Cool. Thank you, Denise. It's interesting, and one of the things we're going to look at a little bit later in the fall is how we're all wired differently and how that affects sometimes the way we hear God. Denise hears God. She doesn't hear it in different ways, but she's being challenged to grow in some ways that she doesn't experience God in right now. And that's really what small groups help us do, what relationships help us do uh, with us being different. There was a gentleman when I was uh, soliciting some testimonies for small groups who so passionately wanted to be here and just really, really wanted to be a part of the testimony. But he's a faithful member here, but he, uh, he, he works uh, managing a retail store and is ne- almost never here on Sundays. But since he's come here, he's been extremely faithful in his small groups. And, uh, and he wrote me some of his story, and would you allow me just to share that to you? His name is Don Rio, and his, that's him and his, uh, his beautiful kids. Um, and he said this, he says, I didn't grow up in church. He says, I accepted Christ's invitation in 2003 to be my Lord and Savior and did the purpose-driven life study that same year with a group of 10 people and enjoyed it. I went to church regularly for a couple of years and did some outreach around the holidays spiritually and financially, he says, things were never better. And then over the next few years, I, I went less and less and no outreach and eventually making poor decisions and not living as God invites us to, he says, and it all caught up with me in October of 2009. He said, my fiance died, I got a DUI, I lost my job and a place to live all within a week. He said, I was penniless and I was broke spiritually. He said, I spent the next four months in treatment and in jail and I spent my time in the Bible while there. And when I got out, I decided to attend Quest and immediately did the Living Your Strength study, which Denise referenced and which some of the men are putting together to do at some point this fall. You might be interested in that on Saturday mornings. And then he joined the Tuesday night men's group here and really enjoyed it. He says, I got a job the next month and it required most of my weekends, which cut into Sunday services, but did well keeping me, keeping with the Tuesday night group. He says, over the past couple of years, I've been able to gradually share the issues of my recent struggles with individuals and groups. I've been in in because of the trust I've had in them that's grown in them. Only in the last few months, he says, have I really sought their advice and started getting to the issues that have had me in chains since I was 10. 
These guys have never judged or pushed me to open up or told me what I should do. They just let it happen. He says, I truly know the Spirit of the Lord has led them in ways I would never have known and maybe still don't even understand. Because of the in-depth study of the Bible and the, the truth and the intimacy and the trust I have in these men, he says, I have hope and know that God is with me to handle the struggles to come. And then he says, goes on, he says, because of friendship in my small group with Russ Adams, who leads a Kairos prison ministry out of Quest, which we talked about today with the cookies, he says, I'm blessed to be going to my second Kairos prison ministry weekend from the 15th to the 18th at the North Central Correctional Institute. He says, even in prison, he's, he's talked with Russ about this, and you'll hear from Russ in a moment. He says, even in prison, he says, Russ has seen that the ongoing small groups among the prisoners are where the most life change happens. It's not in the Kairos weekend. It's not in the big event. It's in the ongoing relationships. And I was, I was talking to him. I was, we, we just got chatting a little bit, and I, you know, I kept reinforcing the value of small groups, and, and it reminded me of a conversation I'd had recently with a, a gentleman and his family who have have been checking out faith and quest and faith in God and checking out quest and and just just struggling with where their faith is going to land and what it means to them and and they kind of said to me a statement that that I don't know if they meant it this way but it kind of came across as they were kind of feeling guilty because they weren't here every Sunday morning and my statement to them was you know what if you can't choose to be here every Sunday morning because of schedule or whatever prevents you he said I would rather see you in relationship in a small group because I think it will lead you to depth of faith and depth of life change faster and I said that to Don in the middle of this and and he, while he agrees he he came back immediately and this is true this is true there is a purpose for the Sunday morning service and Don says I miss worship time on Sundays and and know the power that's in the building and he went on and talked about that but he says but but I also know that just showing up on Sundays isn't going to cut it with God either intentional relationship in small groups can be one of the most empowering habits of your life I've lived this way for years and want to live it more. Over the, I have both informal friendships that hold me accountable, and I have uh, this last year I spent a year-long process in a prime movers process. And actually, uh, I and three of the staff are beginning a week, a little over a week from now, in another year-long intentional group and mentoring process through the Sandberg Leadership Institute, which is part of Ashland Seminary called Pastors of Excellence, and we'll be involved in that as part of our small group thing. And that the whole focus of that program is really more or less on leadership for us and it's more on developing us as emotionally and spiritually whole people because that's what we want to model as a staff, that we have to pursue that intentionally. But the problem is many of us grew up in churches where that wasn't really modeled, where, where uh, you know, the churches I grew up in were more about just attending the Sunday services, and if you were faithful on Sunday, you were a good Christian. If you gave, you were even better. And if you maybe got spiritual enough at some point to be an elder leading a class, you could maybe lead a class, and it was all about disseminating information. It was all about making sure we were educated on the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do and on the correct theology. And, and quite frankly, I think for me and for for many of you probably as well. The church has coddled in us a lasting brokenness instead of challenging us to face it in the depth of relationship that's going to bring transformation. We've looked at the words of the Bible, but we haven't looked at the actions and the habits and the patterns of Jesus and lived according to those you know, last Sunday was a really fun Sunday for me because I didn't have to preach, I didn't have to do anything. And normally, a lot of times when I don't have to do that, I'll, I'll hang out for the worship service a little bit, then I'll head out and go to the children's ministry because children are really important to us here and I want to make them know that I'm there and they can see me and I want to say thank you to the teachers and I want to see the kids and see what's going on. Last Sunday, I chose not to do that. I chose instead to just kind of wander around the back and so if any of you felt like you were being watched, it's because you were. All I was doing last Sunday was wandering about the back and looking and watching. And instead of sitting over here like I normally do, I sat up both services over here. And I walked away with two distinct observations that I hadn't really noticed before. Because up here, you know, I can kind of see you guys, but with these lights are just bright enough that with my eyes I can't quite see. One of the observations was we have a lot of new, not yet connected young couples, 20 and 30-something. 
We have a lot of really young, uh, young couples that are very well connected. We have a lot. Our, the other observation that I thought was interesting, we have a lot of really 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s. I don't like predicting age, so if I just insulted anybody, new people in that category too. I don't know where the middle is. We got a few in the middle. But it's kind of an interesting dynamic. God is bringing us people at both ends of the spectrum. And, and I know as I was thinking about that, even last Sunday, I was going, oh, God, we need to just pray for more small groups because when we were in uh, the last church we served in as staff pastors before I took an 11-year stint to do consulting, it was a church in Tulsa. And when I came on staff, I was 29, and I was one of the oldest people on, in the church. And we had hundreds of young couples, and I have never seen small groups make a greater impact in a single population than on young couples. And Meredith, if you could come, uh, on young couples who are just beginning out in marriage, and, and, and it strengthens the marriages, and for young couples who are just transitioning to parenting, and that whole challenge that comes Small groups change so many people's lives. And I wanted to just let Meredith share just a little bit about her small group. Tommy couldn't be here today, her husband, but uh, Meredith is willing to share. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, when Ross asked me to speak, I was really excited to share. And kind of... Just a little bit closer. Oh. Mike, just a little bit closer. Sorry. Didn't mean to embarrass you. Like he said, we have mostly young 20s group. We have some with kids, some without, and um, are currently growing, so we'd love to see you. And one of the things I love about our group is that we have friends that we can turn to that really know us, which I think that makes it easy after service to add on a quick prayer request or say, oh, remember on Wednesday when I was asking you to pray for this? I forgot this part. Can you add it to? Just because they know the background and what's going on in our lives, and I really love that. Um, One of the things that, and I feel really comfortable doing so, one of the things that I also love about our group is that our studies is always changing. I'm left-handed, hands-on, visual learner with a very short attention span. <laughs> and I love that our group will focus on something for three weeks and then go to another program that's maybe six. And then one week, either half of us are traveling or everybody's too tired and we'll go, yeah, let's just do a potluck or something. <laughs> or let's just go out to dinner tonight or something and still stay connected and always having something new and fresh. And a little example of one of the other little reasons why I love our study is our group in particular does birthday parties or birthday celebrations. So when we had all the May babies get together and the girls kind of rotate who's making sweets and treats, um, it's just kind of fun, a little get-together thing for after service or after our group. And we didn't meet in August because everybody was traveling, and like I said, a couple maybe went out to dinner, but we had so much going on with everybody's calendars that we said there's just no way August is going to work. We're going to have to meet up again in September. And so one day when I had recently started a new job and I had a very bad day at work, it was my first bad day, and I actually thought to myself, while I was down, we're not doing pro- group. I'm not going to have my August birthday. <laughs> I wonder if we'll do cake in September. And that day when I got home, Tommy said, there's a little gift for you on the island. And one of the group members um, also gardens, and I'm new to gardening. And my spot that I have is three foot by five foot, and there are a lot of veggies that I cannot fit in there. And she had specifically remembered all the ones that I said, when I have a bigger lot, I'm definitely going to plant those things. And she had one of each of those veggies in a bag with a card. And I came home and I just said to Tommy, I love our group. (laughs) And um, one last thing is we just have fun. I mean, that's so simple to say, but we do. We just have fun together. So. Cool. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful how they care for one another? And that, that leads me to one of the real strong distinctives of, uh, and I'm going to say this rather straightforward of quest i truly believe that the way most churches do pastoral care and care is unbiblical there's way too much focus on the pastors doing the care and i believe that what is biblical is if we live according to the pattern of jesus according to the habits that jesus instructed that we will be a radically loving caring community You see, I think that I will know we are successful at reaching this place and living this value for us when we get calls in the office saying, hey, so-and-so is going through a rough time and they're in the hospital or so-and-so's got an anniversary or so-and-so needs some attention in an area or needs some care in an area and the immediate response before we even have a chance to say something is, and by the way, we've got it covered. We've already got the meals organized. We've already got people visiting, and we've got their kids taken care of. Just wanted to let you know, just in case you have time, I want to pop by. When we hear that in the office, I will know 
that we're living this value the way that God, I think, really wants us to discover it. And you see that even not just in the care needs, but in Meredith's testimony, just about, I mean, it's a need for us to feel valued and loved, even at times that are special and to celebrate together. And to be able to have that is an amazing thing in our life. Uh, Mark Beltman uh, was interested in sharing a testimony. And, uh, and Mark is fairly new to the church and uh, just wanted to share some of his passion and the reason why he wanted to have small groups. Mark? Thank you. I've been coming to Quest since uh, February. I was actually looking for a small group. Uh, the church I'd been, I had been going to for the past 10 years had uh, groups and small groups, and I just found it a wonderful way to connect and grow. I grew up in the Catholic Church, so going from the Catholic Church in Missouri to Indiana to Michigan to Ohio, why there was one constant. You always would see the same individual, five rows from the back in the red shirt every single week, and you'd know nothing about them. You knew that they were always there. They were, just, they were creatures of habit, like I generally am, but you knew nothing about them. And as I stare through the congregation here, why many, many of you I do know something about. You'll sit in the same seats every week, but I know something about you because I've learned from uh, the groups, the small groups, from meeting you in the lobby. I joined a group at Quest within 10 days of coming here for the very first time. I came to the 11 o'clock service on a Sunday. My wife went to a women's Bible study the following Friday and found out that Bill Perkins was coming that same weekend. said, Mark, you really should go to this. Went to the Bill Perkins event. At that, I found out about the guys who meet Tuesday, the couples who meet Friday, the guys who meet Wednesday. I decided to join with uh, Joe and Russ and some of the other guys who meet on Tuesday and join in with these, at that time it was about 14 to 16 individuals, to start growing. About three months ago, they decided, we want to start going down a small group path. What does this look like? How can, how can this help our group? So we broke into two groups of about four to six individuals. And that's where the true growth really starts to happen. When you've got 12 to 14 individuals and you've only got so much time, you're competing for time. You can only get so personal because everybody in their excitement wants to share also. And again, you just some people get shortchanged. But with four to five people, you really can start to just pour out what's important to you. And to have the interaction of the other members of that group querying you, asking you questions, supporting you, helping you grow. Like Denise, I've done the Strength Finders exercise, and I'm 100% strategic. It's the analytics, the what do these numbers mean, what do these disparate points really mean. And so I truly believe that just small groups are just part of that equation for total success. We're hearing what Ross has to say here on Sundays to get the bigger picture. We're mingling with others in the lobby. We're meeting with people in bigger groups of 14 to 15. And then you get four or five, you really get the essence of how you put this all together and grow. So again, just small groups, it's just, it's part of what's truly necessary for the individual growth that's necessary. Cool, thanks Mark. And we even had music punctuating the emphasis on that. That was awesome, wasn't it? Um, Russ Adams, if you want to come, uh, you know, we're just trying to, I'll, I'll just be straight out. I think this is biblical. I think it's what God wants. And I'm just unabashedly trying to convince you today. Okay. And Russ has a wonderful story from his small group interaction of God using his group to challenge his faith and answer prayer. Would you share that with us, Russ? Thanks, Russ. Um, I guess as a background for those of you that haven't been involved in small groups, for men, men don't share readily. We're not touchy-feeling like women are that share readily. So like an example of men sharing is I felt so good for Bosserman on, um, on Saturday. Uh, the, uh, I, heard women, I heard women laughing, so they know who he is. I figured an Ohio State reference would say <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing about men is sometimes you find out what's important to them through their prayer requests. And that's what I have found through the years being involved with, uh, especially a men's small group. 
to give you the background, I've got a, a son who's now 24, and when he was 12, he got diagnosed with actually several autoimmune diseases, probably caused by an infection or a virus, type 2 diabetes, um, sarcoidosis, sarcoidosis, and um, uh, ITP, which is where your, your body attacks your own platelets. You know, your platelets are what helps your blood to coagulate and stop you from bleeding. Well, when Zane very first got diagnosed, um, and in relative terms, uh, normal level measured in thousands per microliter is 150 to 450. Well, when the doctors called uh, Tammy and said that Zane needed to come back the next morning because they had determined that his were two and he needed to start immediate treatment, he wouldn't be, it wasn't safe for him to do anything that would uh, possibly entail physical contact. So he started the treatment. Because of his type 2 diabetes, he couldn't do the, uh, some of the most effective treatment. So over the next several years, it was always a battle to try to keep his uh, platelets up to about 50 or just above 50 so you could do normal things without much risk. A uh, couple years go by. And the, uh, the guys in the small group uh, had been praying for Zane. But uh, when, his, when your platelets get really, really low, the blood actually pops through the capillaries and you get these purple spots on your skin. We knew Zane's was very low. We uh, sent him in and his were, uh, platelets were down to one. And uh, so they started chemotherapy over uh, four weeks to suppress his autoimmune system. And, and I asked the guys to pray. Now, I'll give you, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell on myself. I'm, I'm an engineer, so when I went to the group, I, we, we tried to be very specific. So I asked the group to, to pray that they would come up. And let's pray that they get up over 50 through this chemotherapy. Well, Stephen Barnes, who's part of our small group, uh, is quite a prayer warrior knew from our previous discussions that normal was 150 to 450, and he asked, why are we praying for over 50? And I said, well, we've discussed this before, over 50, you know, you can, mm -hmm. you're relatively safe. And he goes, but why pray for 50? I said, didn't I just explain that? He said, well, you know, if God's going to get them up over 50, God's perfectly capable of getting, up, getting them up to normal levels. I said, okay. So we prayed for normal, and they, at the end of his chemotherapy, they got up over 50, and the doctors were just hopeful that they would plateau at about 50. Um, several months later, unfortunately, my wife keeps track of these numbers, so I was able to, to double-check some of these with her. Several months later, on his follow-up, they, they were about 87, which really surprised everybody that they would continue to go up. So we were, we were happy, and I actually shared this with Zane at one point and said, hey, we're praying for you, and you know, they got up to 87. He said, still not normal. Okay, <laughs> so um, he, uh, a few months later, he was driving back from Rochester to Buffalo to have them checked the next morning, and he was involved in an automobile accident where his car flipped diagonally, and... Uh, to give you an idea how serious the accident was, when the insurance adjuster talked with Tammy later, he asked whether or not the person survived or if they were doing okay. And uh, Tammy was able to share that, well, besides a bruise on his knee, he was, he was fine. So it was just a miracle that he came out of the, the accident. And the fact that the accident was the night before that he got his platelets checked, um, was pretty amazing. The next day when he had his platelets checked, and again, you know, whether it's a brain hemorrhage or whatever, if your platelets are down, you would obviously be susceptible. Well, the next morning when his platelets were checked, I think it even made him a believer because it was 156, which was by far the highest that they had been since he was 12 years old when he first got diagnosed. And I guess what I learned from a small group standpoint is not only can you share that with others, but they can kind of challenge you to let God really do what God can do. Cool. Isn't that great? What a testimony to God. Here's a plain and simple. My, 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 my invitation to you this morning is for each of us to own this vision, not just for 
you, but for the church. That you would own it for yourself and get engaged to follow Jesus, not just in his word, but words, but his habits of relationship, his habits of how he pursued God, his habits of how he took his disciples from mere fishermen, uneducated fishermen, and turned them into the leaders of the church that exploded in a pagan nation. That's the kind of transformation he wants. And yet so many of us struggle for years and years and years with the same problems, the same issues over and over and over again. We struggle with the same areas of faithlessness and, and yet we don't look and we don't connect the dots and know that the reason Peter came back from faithlessness to faithfulness was not just because of prayer, not just because of words, not just because of seeing Jesus and believing who he was when he was alive, but because of the habits of relationship that allowed him to have people around him, to support him, to encourage him, to challenge him, to make those times of faithlessness shorter. We're all going to make those times of faithlessness in our life longer if we don't have people in our lives saying, hey, come on, come on back. Let me help you. Let me stand with you. Let me be with you. Because the seed of the gospel if we really examine it honestly, the seed of the gospel, it starts, it's lived out in, and it ends in how Jesus modeled for it, modeled it for us in relationship, in honest, intentional small groups that we commit to saying, I want to grow, and I want you to help me grow, and I want to bless your life and help you grow. I want us all to find the greatest wholeness we can find in life, to fulfill the most we can fulfill in meaningful impact, and to experience the best we can experience. It's not, if you look at the gospel, it's not one of these optional things. It's not one of these things that is something we do when it's convenient or if we can or it's good if we do it. It's, it's something that Jesus patterned for us. It's something that his disciples patterned for the early church. And when the early church started, it became this viral thing that just exploded and it was almost uncontrollable because the people saw the model of what Jesus did. They saw the model of how the disciples lived life with the people who were in their small group and they said, that's what we need to do. And if you really study the growth of the early church, if you really study the transformation in people's lives, then and today, the people whose lives who are changed the most are the people who are in intentional, honest relationship. The people who reach the most people for Christ are the people who are being friends with faith like we talked about two weeks ago and having people join them in relationship. I want to encourage you, if you've been here a long time and you've been in small groups before, then most likely you're ready to lead. And I want to encourage you to take that step and to learn how to do it well. If you're here and you're newer, I want to encourage you to commit to being in a group, and I want to encourage you to becoming a leader, to start becoming a leader by helping out in whatever way you can. John Fisher, in his Ezai and the Catch, which I've referenced several times lately, says this. He says, faithfulness is the one ongoing quality God asks of us. He is willing to justify us. He's willing to grant us mercy instead of condemnation that we deserve, but he does ask for a life of faithfulness. And, and he says faithfulness, and I agree with this, faithfulness is in contrast to perfection. Being faithful is a far cry from being perfect. Faithfulness means being authentic, being devoted, being consistent, being loyal. It's an alcoholic who regularly shows up at an AA meeting, he says, is faithful. She may slip and fall, but she's faithful to get up again. She may lie to her supervisor, but she's faithful to tell the truth when confronted. And the reality that we've talked about today is that we know that when we have people in our lives who are close enough to us to lovingly confront us, that that's true of our own lives as well. Faithfulness, he goes on to say, allows for failure. Perfection does not. When God calls for perfection, he says, it is assumed that I cannot perform it. It's the demand for perfection that keeps me relying on God's mercy and grace. But the call to faithfulness is a call all of us can answer. Faithful to follow, faithful to confess, faithful to obey, faithful to repent, faithful to believe, faithful to pray, 
faithful to the relationships God has asked us to be in. To seek all of these, these are the requirements of faithfulness. All of them are doable. In fact, he goes on to say, they're my responsibility and my joy, having been the unexpected recipient of so great a mercy from Jesus. You know, we're celebrating communion today as the first Sunday of the month, and, and if you haven't received the elements, just raise your hand. The, the ushers will bring them by. I think it's interesting. His, his article goes on to say this, and I think it relates very powerfully to us in, our, in what we're talking about today. Um, he says, the Pharisees could have had it all, and Jesus confronted them all, and a lot of them didn't have it all. But, but Fisher goes on to say, the Pharisees could have had it all if they would have been willing to admit their hypocrisy and join the rest of the human race on their knees before a merciful Lord and say, as the parable in Luke 18 says, God have mercy on me, a sinner, cried the publican, the, the person who was a degenerate in everybody else's eyes in the parable of Jesus. He says, imagine, if you will, a Pharisee in all their pomp and circumstances and all their, all their polish that they present, down on their knees next to this tax collector who everybody despised for his thievery, for his debaucherous lifestyle, down on his knees next to this tax collector in tears of repentance and joy together. Imagine these two embracing, both overwhelmed with the mercy of God and hearing and answering the same prayer. He says, there is what a true picture of the kingdom of God looks like. It's hard to imagine the Pharisee standing up after such an experience and judging anyone. And as we take communion today, when we look at Jesus' body, we're reminded that he came not just in words, but he came and lived like he wants us to live. And if we're going to live like he wants us to live, then that means we're going to be willing to be committed to faithful relationship as he modeled for us. Faithful relationship when it hurts and we have scars from it. Faithful relationship when it's healing and it's good. Faithful relationship when it's sad. Faithful relationship when it's joyful, just as he did. And honestly, when we take his body and eat of it, he's saying, would you follow me in my earthly example? just take it and would you just breathe a prayer of God saying show me how to do this in my life and then as we look at the cup so many of us are quite frankly if we get past all the objections to small groups and relationship if we get past all the things we say about you know the fact that you know, some of them haven't been led well or, or they've been boring or they haven't been really helpful or I didn't connect with the people. If we get past all those excuses, a lot of us would have to admit that part of the reason those groups didn't, didn't work is because we weren't willing to be honest and we weren't willing to confess and we weren't willing to be real. And at sometimes we've walked into groups with people who have had severe problems and we've gone, we're not like them. Our lives are better than that. But Jesus invites us, when he invites us to drink the cup, he invites us to, to remember what he did. He came to forgive us all. It doesn't matter where our level of brokenness is. We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. We all have no place before God without the forgiveness of his blood. We're no different than the person who's on the street caught in addiction in terms of, in terms of being a better person. We all need Jesus' grace. We all need his blood. We all need his life to pour into us. And as you take his cup, would you just say, Lord, forgive me for any judgmentalness I have and help me learn to be an honest open, confessing person before you and before others. So Lord, that your power can really, and life can really be made known in me. Would you take the cup? Lord, I speak from my own heart, and, and Lord, I speak for the hearts of hopefully everyone here. Lord, would you lead us into the depth of radical love for one another? 
the depth of care, the depth of honesty, the depth of openness. Lord, would you help us to become very good at allowing others into our lives so that the times when we do the things we don't want to do, when we don't live up to the faith that we want to live up to, when we're struggling with confusion of not even knowing if we can, feeling so helpless and powerless that, that we would allow others in our life so that we could live the same pattern of faith as you lived, as you demonstrated for us. A life deeply invested in relationship that allows those relationships to call us to faithfulness and transformation in ways that we can't even hope for now. In ways that we struggle hoping for. And Lord, we ask that as we live that way, you would do the same through us as you did through the early church. That that, that kind of love, that kind of honesty, that kind of openness, that kind of faithfulness would be infectious to this community and that this community would be transformed from top to bottom by your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you next week to join us as an application to living life as friends with faith by joining us at QuestFest. There's uh, going to be games. In fact, there's going to be one game that uh, I think you're going to really enjoy if we can pop that picture up. It's giant cornhole. I want to emphasize again, that's a really light bean bag, so if you've got physical limitations, you're going to be able to participate in this. And the other one that's going to be, that I'm really looking forward to the most, okay, this is going to be hard for somebody of you to admit. This is a, this is a part, first step of being real. How many of you like Angry Birds? How many of you play Angry Birds? How many have heard of Angry Birds? Angry Birds is like the most viral game going out there for like smartphones and stuff. We are going to turn virtual reality into actual reality and we have an actual game of Angry Birds that you as a group and a team are gonna be able to do and I think you're gonna really enjoy it. You know, uh, if we're gonna have great relationships, we gotta celebrate that. So next Sunday, four o'clock, service is gonna be short, we're gonna have great food and we're really just gonna spend the day celebrating what God's called us to, great relationships, great friendships. And uh, on your way out, uh, you see these blue bags at the end. We are having a great feast next week, and we are also asking you to bring food to share with Warm and uh, bring your pocketbook to take a special offering to bless Warm next week so that not only can we feast, but some people who don't have food can have a feast as well. Would you do that? God bless. If you'd like to have somebody pray for you, we would love to do that. Have a great week.